want to take some time to pray. Let's take some time to pray. And Psalm 136 verse 1 says, you might know it, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that psalm says something like that over and over and over and over. And if you look at the Bible, you'll notice that God has a a lot to say about giving thanks. The biggest thing he has to say is, do it. But don't just do it to do it to give thanks to nothing. He tells us, to be thankful to the one to whom all thanks is due. God. God the loving Father. God Jesus the saving Son. And God the powerful Holy Spirit. We have an object for our thanks. So that's who we want to come to today in prayer. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, And Holy Spirit, we thank you that we get to pray to you today. And we thank you that we get to give thanks to you, not just on Thanksgiving week, but in all weeks. So Lord, we thank you for the many, many blessings that you have given us as a church. Lord, we thank you for this place to meet. We thank you for the people who are here, because this is your, this is the people or your church. Lord, we thank you for the willing hands and the willing hearts to serve you and love your people. We thank you for providing for us in so many ways. Thank you for those who are young, who are new in the faith. As they grow in you, and we give you thanks for them. We thank you for those who are older and more mature in the faith. And we thank you for the wisdom that you have given them and what you have allowed them to see of your grace. Lord, we thank you for blessings in our own lives. Lord, blessings in our families. We thank you for our marriages. We thank you for um, children. We thank you for places to live. We thank you for income. We thank you for the ability to be generous and to help those who don't have such things. We thank you for the ability to bring your gospel in this place, to bring your gospel to York, to bring your gospel to the communities around us and to the world. And Lord, um, maybe it's a little bit of overlap with what was said this morning earlier, but it's worth saying again. Lord, like the song said, even when we don't feel it or see it, you're working. So thank you for the times that you work even when we don't see. Thank you for something that we don't often give thanks for. Thank you for suffering. First of all, thank you for suffering in our place. That our suffering would not be meaningless. And thank you, Lord, that you use suffering in our lives to draw us closer to you. 
to remind us of the price you paid. Lord, we also thank you for hardship and frustrations. And Lord, we confess that it is hard to give thanks when those are actually happening in real time. But thank you that through those you remind us that this world is not what it ought to be and what it is not yet. And we thank you, Lord, that we are reminded that this isn't heaven, but that you have promised a place prepared for us. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for all the means that you use to remind us of those good truths, your good promises. We thank you for your people who love you, who are being changed by you, who come alongside one another to build one another up. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is always true and always accomplishes the purpose for which you intend it. And thank you that it proclaims a better message than any message that we can receive from the world and even from ourselves. And thank you, Lord, again, for the privilege to pray to you and to pray for one another. And through all these things, Lord, you remind us of who you are and why we are still here. Please, Lord, receive our thanks. Lord, as we come to your word, we thank you that it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can have understanding. So we pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, please come. Fill us. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Help us to see Jesus. Please do this for all of us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you get a Bible this morning and turn to the Gospel of John? And I am going to get something to drink before I dry out. Excuse me. We are going to be in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 20. And as you're turning there, I want to do two things. I want to brag on my wife a little bit, and I want to make a confession. Not, not her confession, just want to clarify that. My wife is a great cook, an excellent chef. She makes delicious food. So when I'm home and she's cooking food, the house is filled with good aromas. And it's a blessing to have a wife like that. Here's my confession. I struggle to be in the kitchen when she's making food. You want to know why? Because the way I would make that food is different. Anybody else deal with that? I have to sometimes step out, step out of the kitchen, or walk through like this. Because, not because I doubt her abilities, but because it's not the way I would do it. And if I stay, I will be tempted to judge how she's doing things that I would do differently. 
And unless I run to Jesus for protection from, against pride, as though everything that I do in the kitchen is immaculate, I will make life miserable for everybody. She's not necessarily doing anything wrong. It's just different. And what comes from the difference? <laughs> Delicious food. The end result is amazing. So here we are, almost two years later, in the Gospel of John. We come to the end of this amazing, amazing book. Calling us to believe in Christ and to have life in his name. To follow Jesus. But one thing that I have wrestled with, and I bet you have too, or will, is what about life, what about that life in Jesus' name that looks different from yours? What about when people's lives who are following Jesus look different? And then when you look at the greats of the faith, what do you do if our lives don't look like Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon or Mother Teresa or Fanny Crosby? And then here's another question. Why doesn't everyone I know who believes in Jesus not live the Christian life according to how I think it should be lived? Why don't they serve the same way in church as I do? Have you ever asked that? How they're living may not be at all sinful as laid out in Scripture. But what are we to do when followers of Jesus follow Jesus differently? Well, would you stand with me as we read God's word and hopefully hear this? John 21, beginning of verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things, also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You may have a seat. What's going on here? Peter has just been restored to fellowship and service by the Lord Jesus, and suddenly he sees someone whose path with Jesus is different. A fellow disciple, likely the, the guy who wrote this book, the, the Apostle John. And so Peter begins wondering, what about this guy, Lord? Is he going to suffer like I am, like you just prophesied that I would? Is he going to be faithful? Will he need to be restored? What will he get to do or see 
that I won't. And Jesus' answer to him and Jesus' call to us is the same. Even when our stories are different, we all must keep following Jesus. So in order to, for all of us to keep following Jesus, here's a question. What realities must we accept for, in order to follow and keep following Jesus? Well, the first reality is that our stories with Jesus are different. How might our stories be different? Well, others may have a different relationship with Jesus, but not necessarily a sinful one. They may have a different background with him. They may resonate more with different aspects of who Jesus is and what he has done. They may be equipped and gifted for different things than you or I are. Or frankly, they may think differently about how the Christian life is lived. And instead of concerning ourselves with our own faithfulness to Jesus and to love and build up his church, what do we do instead? We compare our relationship to Jesus with their relationship to Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 20, beginning in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And then we get this brief description of who this guy is. And when Peter saw him, verse 21, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, we're not told why Peter seeks to find out what's going on with this other disciple. But we get a clear hint that it's not quite what the Lord has in mind because in verse 22, Jesus says, What is that to you? You follow me. We often live our Christian lives as though we're the one we're following. Did you hear me? We often live our Christian lives as though we're the one we're following. And here's a test. You don't believe me? How often are you tempted when someone doesn't have the same view of serving as you do? Or generosity? Or reading the Bible? Or prayer? How often are you tempted to use that difference to justify sins of grumbling, complaining, or pride, I can do that way better. Or they don't care about the church as much as I do. Or we justify in the opposite direction. They're so much more holy, I'm worthless. I have nothing to contribute because they've got it all covered. Scripture does have standards. Okay, We're not, not saying that. We're not to rejoice in wrongdoing, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, but to rejoice with the truth. So do you see what we end up doing when we do the comparison game with other believers? We judge them and ourselves by standards that the Bible never offers as standards. And you know what that's called? It's called sin. Others may have a different relationship, but not necessarily a sinful one with Jesus. 
And secondly, others may have a short-term, different short-term future with Jesus, but not a long-term one. Look how Pete, Jesus responds to Peter. Peter sees this follower of Jesus, and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, one of the reasons Peter was asking this was because he had been told his future. He was going to follow Jesus to a literal cross and die. What about the future of others? Lord, what's the plan for this guy? Am I the only one who's going to suffer this way? Let's put it this way. Stock traders, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, they buy or sell stock based not only on how the market is doing, but on how they think it will do with certain information. But you know what they're doing every time. They're betting on an uncertain future. As we've seen in our lifetimes, if you live just long enough, there's surprises that happen economically. And that's a stock trader's job, to do that, to bet on an uncertain future. But guess what? That is an exhausting and unprofitable mindset for the children of God to do with their immediate futures, whether theirs or others. We're not here to worry over whether God will keep his sheep. We're here to encourage his sheep to keep going. We must remember that our short-term future, however it looks, is still with Jesus, just like our long-term future is. And our concern for the future of others, however well-intentioned, we don't have any control over their future. And actually, our concern may actually hinder us from more faithfully following the Lord Jesus. We are not promised life as tomorrow as we know it or planned it. We are promised, however, what? Until I return. That Jesus is coming back. And that should make all the difference. All the difference and make up for all the differences in our individual lives as Christians. Even when our stories are different, we all must keep following Jesus. And that's the key, isn't it? The key to living well in the midst of differences among believers. Isn't that the key to following Jesus? That it's Jesus? We have no hope. We have no hope if we follow after that which is, is uncertain and constantly changing. And that's what our lives were before we were following Jesus, before we were following Jesus when we followed sin and worshipped anyone and anything except for God. <laughs> Amen. 
But here we are at the end of the Gospel of John, and there is good news. Good news that continues for the followers of Jesus, and it's the second reality that we need to accept in order to keep following Jesus. It's that Jesus' story for all is the same. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Why is that good news? It's good news firstly because it means we are not to rely on our speculations but on Jesus' true word. Because something crazy, not totally surprising, but something crazy, somebody misinterpreted Jesus' words. That never happens in our day, does it? A rumor went out that John was going to be alive when Jesus showed back up. But is that what Jesus said? No. And why is he saying it? So that we don't bank our hope on it. So they don't bank their hope on it. Banking our hope on anything that is speculation or at best inference is foolish. Our hope is not that the economy gets flipped right side up. Our hope is not that COVID goes away. Our hope in following Jesus is not that our kids become believers. Our hope in following Jesus is not that we don't face persecution. Our hope in Jesus is not that we would die peacefully in our homes, surrounded by friends and family. Those are all good desires. But as the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, sings, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in where? His excellent word. What more can he say to, than to you he has said? To you who for, to Jesus for refuge have fled. We have his true word faithfully delivered by trustworthy witnesses. Preserved for thousands of years. And we can rely on this instead of speculations. Secondly... We can trust him not because his word is exhaustive, but that it's sufficient. Because John ends his book this way. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. (laughs) I love this. We don't get to know it all. And for those of us with limited brain capacity like me, that's good news. Why? Why does this text say we don't get to know it all? Because we don't have enough shelf space for the power and majesty and work of the second person of the Trinity in eternity past, 
In his incarnational ministry and eternity future is what he wants to do through us, his church. But what we have been given is sufficient to faithfully follow Jesus and keep following until we die or he comes. It's a relationship of trust that we're talking about here. When you get married, when you develop a friendship, <laughs> you don't start with an exhaustive knowledge of the person, right? In fact, you usually don't end with an exhaustive knowledge of the person either. But what we all seek to have before really committing to a relationship with someone is sufficient knowledge and belief that they are trustworthy. And that's why he wrote this book. That's why he told us about his son. To give us sufficient understanding to know who he is. He's God. What he's done. He came to us to be with us while we were sinners. And died on the cross to take away our sins which kept us from him. And now he is alive forever, giving eternal life to all who believe in him, who follow him. And he has promised, and given the record, it's a sure guarantee that he will return after he has prepared a place for every single soul whom the Lord God gives to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who judges the living and the dead and makes all things new, as his word says. That is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And it's even better. He's not just those things. He is those things for you. He loves you. And he's for me. And we all get one story. His story. To bank our everything on. even when our stories are different, because his story is the same, we all must keep following Jesus. So here's the question. What is stopping you from following Jesus? You can't stand being in the kitchen when someone else is at the stove? The comparison game? Other saints who haven't arrived yet? Other saints who are too holy for you? Your uncertainty about the future? Our Lord God answers those all and says, Rejoice always. Rejoice that our stories are different. We don't worship a boring Jesus. We worship a Jesus who has made beautiful things because he himself is beautiful and he has made each one of us with a different story that fits into his story, the story that matters. So we can rejoice that our future is with Jesus and that it is certain if we trust in him. And we can rejoice still more that we have a better story that we can all share in. 
It's his, and it brings us to him, and it keeps us going with him. And when you and I follow Jesus like this, I just want you to think about this. Imagine what kind of health and growth God would do among us. We could rejoice instead of divide when fellow believers live differently than we might. I'm not saying sinning, okay? We don't rejoice over wrongdoing. And I'm not saying that we throw the word of God out and and not have strong convictions about sound doctrine. We should. We very much should. But when we each keep following Jesus... Frankly, we would have some needs met among us that are not being met right now. We would be making disciples, not just being disciples. Actually doing what Jesus would have us do to love one another, differences and all. We would equip the next generation of disciples to run the race set out for them as they follow Jesus. Just as you and I, however different our stories are, must follow Jesus. Even though, even when our stories are different, we all must follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask for your mercy for myself and for the the people here. Because, Lord, I confess that I often play the judge and compare game. And I grumble and I make snide remarks. Or worse, I act like a Pharisee and tie up burdens on people's backs too heavy for them to bear and don't lift a finger to help. Please, have mercy. Thank you, Lord, though, that you are a God of mercy. And you are a God who says out of love to each of us to follow you. So, Lord, we ask for your grace and the power and your Holy Spirit dwelling in us to do that. And to do that in a way that pleases you, that loves you above all and loves our neighbor as ourself, and loves your church as you have loved her. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being trustworthy. Lord, we thank you for the Gospel of John. We thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in it. And Lord, by your grace, we will come back at some time in the future, maybe to all of it, maybe to some parts of it. We thank you for who you have shown yourself to be, that you are Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that we can, by faith, believe in you. We can, by what you have done, believe in you. And we praise you that we can have life in your name, real life, 
life abundant that follows you to where you are. We pray these things in your name.